Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. Today is so special for me because I have a new best friend here, and she's my namesake, actually. Her name is Tanae. And I was thinking, Tanae, her name is Tanae Richardson, but I was thinking that actually that should be my name because if you look at the spelling of my name, T-I-N-A, it should be Tanae. <laughs> but if you look at the spelling of your name, uh, it should be Tanae. <laughs> and I get that a lot. <laughs> T-Y-N-A-E is hers. And I was laughing when I met her and I'm like, oh, my new name is Tanae. You know, I mean, you can change names, you know, yeah. right? <laughs> That's exactly what we said. <laughs> and I actually, uh, I, I am just adore you. The minute I met you today and I heard your story, we spoke at an event together, a woman's global event, and through um, mutual friends, Vicki Harris, who I just absolutely adore. I just told my husband, I said, Vicki is my new best friend, honey. I'm like, thank you that you went to high school with her. Otherwise, I probably would have never known her. <laughs> right. Wow. What a great woman. And I actually asked her, like, was there anything that I should ask you? And so she actually gave me a couple ideas, which um, which was actually already on my mind. So I'm super excited about that as well, too. But thank nice. you, Vicki. I know you're listening to this. Thank you for hooking us up as well, too. And, and I want to introduce uh, Tanae Richardson. She's a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist with 20 plus combined years of experience in leadership, organizational development, human resources, and DEI, helping nonprofit, governmental agencies, educational institutions, and Fortune 500 organizations. She helps to develop strategies to break down systemic barriers to belonging, inclusion, and human respect. And I definitely want to dive into that today. Uh, but today is also a proud MSU graduate. And, you know, actually East Lansing is where I met my husband. So go oh, green. Go, go white. Yes. <laughs> um, she's a certified cultural intelligence facilitator and a certified professional in human resources. She serves at a, as a mentor at GVSU, Seedman College of Business to up and coming professionals. While Tanae is passionate about elevating the voices of all people from all walks of life in the marketplace, you will come to know that she is even more passionate to awaken individuals to walk boldly in their God identity. Her mantra is Ephesians 2.20, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Tanae and her husband, Gregory, they're proud parents of two college age children, Gregory the third, he's a sophomore attending the University of Kentucky, and Gabrielle, a freshman playing volleyball at Oral Roberts University. I love that so much. I I know so many people graduated from there, which is amazing. Oh, good. Congratulations Thank on you. that. That's a that's a feat in itself. Right? <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. But I want to dive first into that because I'm all about every time when people ask me to speak, it's usually about how do you stay so balanced, right? And so I want to hear your side. How do you stay so balanced between your work life and uh, your personal life? 
Oh, such a great question. It really apropos now because I, I believe this, I will say year, especially this summer, I have so been intentional about leaning into this moment. Just mm. being present where my feet are. It's like be where my feet are because my husband and I, as you mentioned, are on the verge of becoming empty nesters-ish, as we call it. <laughs> because we know we'll, they'll come home for different holidays, which we expect and hope. But really leaning in because my children are far away. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So they're 12. One is 12, going to be 12 hours away. One is eight hours away. So really living in the moment of where I am. I've learned that in my late in my mid 40s, I'm not late 40s, mid 40s, and correct that. <laughs> but I learned that now to really just as your series says, be, be where I am. So I, I really, because um, I'm, uh, you know, heavily involved in church and ministry, heavily involved in the marketplace. So my husband and I both have high capacity roles at church, high capacity roles in our professional life. So we steal moments away. Yeah. We have to say, you know what, we may not have, like, for example, holiday weekend coming up. This will be the last. Hurrah, if you will, before my children go back to school. We're going to steal moments away. Go away, the four of us, and just be. Just be together. Be present in that moment. Play games. Watch movies. What we love to do. So for me, it's literally um, knowing that seasons change, but being present in the season that I'm in. Mind, body, soul. So for me, it's really aligning my energy, aligning my thoughts, aligning um, my perspective on where am I, who's in front of me, making sure I'm giving my children their undivided attention. It's not easy because women, we can multitask with the best of them. Yeah. <laughs> I realize that is not healthy all the time, especially yeah. for the person that's in front of you or the, 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 the idea or the item, the thing that needs your attention in that moment. It's like, just settle, settle yourself and be present. Be where your feet are. Wow. Okay. I need this message today for sure. Um, and I, and I've always said that, like, it's so easy to say, I think I'm actually going to call this. I already know right away. It's going to be called be present. <laughs> and, uh, and I know we're living in this world of like, okay, of what we call FOMO fear of missing out. Yes. Right? And yes. So it's like, okay, I got to go here. I got to go there. And I don't want to miss this. And I don't want to miss that. So what do you say yes to What do you say no to, right? That's all a part of that present. Can you share with our listeners today? What do you do specifically to get, be so intentional about being in the moment? Oh, such a great question. I would definitely have to say being, uh, having an energy scale. So an energy audit. Wow. Because it's interesting. We can look at time. You know, time is something we never can get back. It, it is something that a high level commodity that we can't trade. Tina, I can't trade time with you. Like, okay, you give me, you know, five minutes and I'll give you 10 years. It's nothing that we can, we can control. We have to be in that moment. So for me, I've learned be control my energy. What am I giving my energy to? Who am I giving my energy to? What am I giving my energy to? There's a litany list of things that emails, uh, meetings that should have been an email <laughs> or, you know, conversation yeah. that could have been a text or a text that should be a conversation. We have to really settle ourselves before we continue just moving at such a fast pace. We're missing our moments. I heard something from someone said this, and it was so powerful. So controlling your energy, right? I've heard someone say, this gentleman said, I had a horse coming home to his wife said, oh my gosh, today was absolutely horrible. They were talking about their day. Uh, she's like, wow, tell me more what happened. And, and he talked about this meeting or this encounter that he had. And she's like, wow, how long did that last? He was like, well, you know, it lasted for about, as he thought about it and thought about it, it lasted about five minutes. 
She was like, oh, okay, so you had a bad five minutes, not a bad, not a bad day. He was like, wow, I allowed that five minutes to steal all the precious moments that could have and should have and did happen throughout the day because I got caught up in that warp of just a, a bad five minute moment. So recognizing what's in front of you, is it just a bad moment? Is it something you have that perspective of like, you know what, this will pass. How am I leaning into it with great perspective? so that I can have the proper energy and not let it steal away moments. For example, my daughter, son are going away. So I don't want these moments to be stolen because of the precious moments I have in front of me. We can never get the time back that I have right now, never. So for me, it's, it's energy audits constantly. Yeah, yeah, I love that so much. And, and it's so true. It's like, even right before I got on this call with you, I had like, this email that wasn't very good news. And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so I'm like, okay, calm down, just pray. Everything's gonna work out. God always works everything out. And so I had to just like talk myself down off of that bad news, you know? <laughs> so, so what are some other things that you do specifically to help you stay in that moment? And, and I love the energy audit idea. And I know John Maxwell's talked about that too. In yes. fact, look at his schedule and he'll say, okay, I need a level 10 in this meeting. I need a level one in this meeting. That way he knows before he actually goes in what he can actually be doing with his energy with each one. Cause he knows he can't be at a 10 at every single moment right. of the day. Right. And so what are some of the other things that you do today to help yourself to be present? I would say slow down to speed up. That's another phrase I use, slow down to speed up. I have a high level of energy. I, you know, I'm an early riser, whether it be prayer, motivation and getting going, going, going. I'm a goer, I'm a doer. So for me, it's slowing down to speed up. I'm a journaler. So I'm also using a planner, whether it be electronic or physical. So for me, I'm really looking at what is my, the night before, what does my day need? What do I need to do in the day? What, what are those top things that, you know, if you do that priority list, that quadrant, what are those high priority urgent that need to happen? And for us, where we're wearing multiple hats, I literally converge all of them in there. Personal, professional, ministry, all of that's in there because they all have to get done in a day, if you will, or get done throughout a course of time. So for me, it's, I, I write it out. Where do I need to slow down and speed up so that I can be present, so that I can really... I may not be giving my all energy, but I can actually give some, some, have impact in that moment. So I'm, you know, having to talk to my husband, my husband, I bounce a lot off of each other. We are each other's sounding board. We're each other's best friends. So I'm like, okay, honey, I'm thinking about this. How does this sound? Do I need to shift priorities? So for me, I can't, I used to, prior to, I would say early adulthood, definitely teenage, I used to keep everything bottled inside. I didn't really have good sounding board. I didn't seek out wisdom. So for me, it's seeking out good counsel. Yeah. Wow. So that way, I, am I tracking right? I, I don't want to create a lot of decisions silo in my head. So for me, I have to slow down, speed up, reach out, reach good counsel and make sure like, okay, I'm thinking about this. Does it make sense? But I think that's one thing um, is understanding the season I'm in and making sure that it makes sense based on how I'm moving forward. Or maybe I need to stand still. Because we know we're in traumatic situations. Our mind is going. We need to make no decisions. <laughs> There's a hallway experience I talk about. And I remember at a point in my life where I was in a hallway experience. 
And I'm like, I don't know which door to open, God. Like, I'm stuck. I don't know. And I want to make sure I'm in your will. Is your will door A or is your will door B? And the Holy Spirit had to tell me, guess what? I'm where you are. I live in you. Open up a door and I will go with you. Wow. Because wow. we get caught up and trained. I was trained to like, oh, go where the Holy Spirit leads you. Oh, make, make sure it's God's will. I was born and raised in the church. And I really, I'm very analytical. So I took that to heart. Like, God, I'm not opening the doors unless you say so. But the Holy Spirit to teach me as I ebb and flow. No, no, no. Open the door and I will guide. I will order your steps. A good man's steps are ordered by the Lord. So trust the God in me. If you don't open the door, that means you don't trust me. Yeah. Wow. So good. And I love what you're saying, you know, seek out good counsel. Like what's the best counselor that you can have? It's the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) And, but yes, you do want to have a good inner circle too. How do you kind of, um, you go through life as far as making decisions today, um, based on like, you know, the Lord, you feel like the Lord is telling you something. Um, but your wise counsel humans around you aren't feeling the same thing. So how do you, cause I'm sure you're like me where you have so many opportunities. And so you're like, okay, yes, I'm going to go here, but now I'm going to make rub this person the wrong way. Maybe my family's not very happy about my choice, <laughs> right? That's all part of that balance, right? How yeah. do you um, make those decisions? Maybe someone's listening right now and has mm-hmm. like a fork in the road, you know, do I follow yeah. the Lord and, and leave my family? I've seen this happen. I just saw a really incredible a person in the ministry that this just happened. And she's like, I feel like the Lord's calling me to leave my marriage because I feel like, and I'm like, are you sure that was the Lord? <laughs> you yeah. know? So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not walking in her shoes. I have no idea, but for myself, for yourself, how do you make those, those hard decisions? Yeah. It, 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 you said it best. It's a, it, there are definitely, as I call them, heavy lifts. <laughs> there yeah. are heavy lifts. There are hard decisions that we have to make. And I've had to learn how to not think, oh my goodness, the Lord is going to punish me if I make this wrong decision. Because again, given perspective of myself, born and raised in the church, uh, I say I was born on the pew. I had no choice but to know God. And I'm so grateful that my parents introduced me to him. But that breeds a certain level of, I would say, cloud of like, make the right decision, always do the right thing, stay in color within these lines. That is not life. That is not life. Um, and for me, I was the, the a situation that comes to mind would be the work that I've chosen. I moved from HR into diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is not, if I may say this word in your series, sexy work. <laughs> right. It's not work that is uh, where I say it all the time when people see diversity, equity, inclusion um, practitioner coming, they don't have pom pom and cheerily like, yay, let's do inclusion work. <laughs> let's lean into psychological safety and help me feel comfortable being uncomfortable. So I would have to say choosing this work is sometimes, you know, people are like, why are you still there? I questioned because of the experience I've had through this work. Why am I doing this? I've had to rest on my personal value statement. So for me, it is absolutely tied into my Christ identity, number one. So to your point of making that decision, how do you, how does your Christ identity line up with the word of God? So number one is steeped in my Christ identity, who I am in him. I can and will do all things. I'm courageous. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
but I have a personal value statement. I would say the Holy Spirit gave me this. This is not too long ago when I had a fork in the road, a very horrific, traumatic work experience. And the Holy Spirit had to say, you know what? Let's slow down and speed up and look at a personal value statement. Something that he showed me from, I would say, sales industry. I had to find the sum total between what is my perceived benefit of continuing in this capacity and minus it from my perceived cost. Let's count up the cost. What does it cost you? Minus the benefit. And do you land with a personal value statement where this is, the, this is your intrinsic uh, uh, will, meaning my intrinsic motivator of my why? Does it line up with why I'm doing what I'm doing? So for me, I feel I'm called to this work because it is not easy. It is tough. It is, a, it is, it is compounding interest of, of of, of rough and, 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 and in the weeds and in the mud. But I had to realize that God has given me the ability to really speak truth to power to the majority organization or majority culture and align that with the underrepresented groups and really provide a voice for each at a seat at the table to ensure who's, at the, who's in the room, who's sitting at the boardroom, whose voices are here, are not here, being elevated, listened to, and implemented. So really bringing both groups along to make sure that there is, I would say, a voice for impact and change. That is something that I've had family members say, ooh, you know, due to your experience, and I'll share more about that later, are you sure you want to continue in this work? Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, there's a three-year life expectancy for a DI practitioner. Wow. Because of the heavy lift because of the battles. And I believe, I'll say this to you, Tina, I'm so grateful that we can speak about God in this moment, but there are, there are principalities and powers and rulers over dark places that are hovering within the diversity, equity, inclusion space. Mm. And wow. it, is, it, is, it is nobody but God that's allowed me to converge the two to really bring my light into such a dark place. God is like, no, I called you to this. You're the light into this dark place. And I think that's where ministry, for me, that's where marketplace and ministry converge, yeah. where people feel like they have to leave their light at home, their Jesus light, their Christ identity. It's like, no, bring your light, bring your spiritual warfare, put on the whole armor of God, go into the marketplace and be that light. It's not me carrying my Bible. It's me being, having that positive. We talked about energy. How do I control that energy? How do I control my tongue <laughs> when I want to say something that may not be as kind? It's right. literally in that moment, people are like, wow, Tanae, you didn't say, you could have really gone off on that person. You really could have cussed them out. That's not who I am, showing them something different. Yeah. So for me, that fork in the road is Christ's identity and understanding your personal value statement. Why are you doing what you're doing? Evaluate it. Make sure that the benefit minus the cost equals the foundation of the Holy Spirit of who you are in Christ. So good. I love that. I, I want to dive. Uh, I definitely want to dive into what you actually do with diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I have so many questions for you on that. But I, I want to know, like, what is your personal value statement? And why did you get into this career? Like, what brought you to this moment, this fork in the road, if you will, right? So leaving HR to DEI work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, I will say, really understanding and seeing that so many different organizations, I saw a pernicious way of thinking, that organizations were thinking very perniciously. And I became hyper-focused on ensuring that organizations really transforming their, their heart and their mind to look at people, work, 
the way that we operate, think differently. Look through it through a diversity, equity, inclusion lens. But I have to take you back to a child and uh, my grandfather, who was, a, I would say, a Martin Luther King of Grand Rapids, Bishop William mm -hmm. C. Abney, he was, I saw him and I paid such great attention how he was able to command the majority, while a lot of white individuals under such a volatile time bring black individuals and Latinx and people of color to the table to say, let's reason together. Yes, mm -hmm. we have some differences, but I really saw his, his kind and his persuasive but authentic way of bringing these two different or representatively different groups together to say, no, let's find the commonality and let's converge towards a equal goal. We don't want to take something from one group and give to another. We actually want to elevate the voices of all so that we have an opportunity for generation. My grandfather's a lot about legacy. Yeah. And I'm so glad because he created such a great legacy for myself. And then for me, going into a high school and you know, middle school, high school, elementary, middle school, high school, where I was always the only or part of the minority group where mm -hmm. it was overt discrimination. So I never understood why I was, a brother and I would be, you know, this is, I remember this. I remember the dress I had on. I had to be Tina probably five or six. Mm -hmm. I don't have the best memory. I have moments that I see where my brother and I are against a wall. And I remember these um, young white children were throwing rocks at us and called us the N-word. Wow. And I remember just like crying. And I don't know why we were standing there taking this, but I remember I was running to the jungle gym, running on top, my brother protecting me, like it's gonna be okay. But just remembering that that wasn't a positive experience. So that stained me. Yeah. So, you know, you'll hear me talk throughout our, 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 our conversation about uh, different situations dimmed my voice. It dimmed my light um, yeah. and how I found the power of my voice through resilience. So that stood with me mm. and with the Holy Spirit, thank God for the Holy Spirit, as I continue to go through education, still being the only, still experiencing overt racism, I became the Stokely Carmichael slash Malcolm X of my high school and bringing truth to power saying, hmm, I know we don't have African-American studies, why not? I know we don't celebrate Martin Luther King, why not? Let's have a program. Let's have an initiative. Let's reach out and uh, celebrate Latinx and difference. So I always seem to be that voice for the underrepresented. Wow. And really wow. just, you know, we had walkouts, we had sit-ins. Um, and this is in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. So this is not too long ago, but really having not bitterness, but having the ability to say, how can we make this better? That's my grandfather, that's the Holy Spirit. So that's where my, I would say my love, my passion for diversity, equity, inclusion and converging to different voices, but understand the similarity and how we can lift each other up. That's where it started for me and just continue to evolve into like stretch programs at work. And then like, you know what? I want to do this full time. I want to own this and really transform organizations to transcend their policies, their procedures, to mm. use muscles they haven't used before or even thought of because they've been in a bubble. Yeah, a bubble. Wow. Okay. Let's let, I want to talk about that getting out of the bubble, but, um, so I love this because to be present, you have to always think about what's my legacy in that moment. So, you know, what, when I make this decision right now, right here in this present moment, it's going to affect my legacy in this yes. moment. 
And so you can't take it lightly. Like you can't just jump into a decision and with your emotion, when your emotions are high, I always say when your emotions are high, your brain cells are cute. <laughs> like, like get the emo, like what's going on. Right. But, um, it, and this is, um, interesting because, you know, when I was in, um, grade school, I remember just constantly being called names and it's just like the bullying happening. Right. And I, and I too, like lost my voice for a lot of years and, you know, from Bucky Bieber to four eyes, you know, whatever they called me, you know, and it was just horrible. And like, you're just, your self-esteem is so low and you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? Like nobody likes me. And, and so I remember just going through that time. And then when I got into the work I do now, it was about inclusion. And it was about, for me, like we started these be nice clubs and it was like to look for the kids in, in school, you know, these are cosmetology schools to look for them that have been ignored or they seem depressed or they have low self-esteem or maybe they don't fit in. Right. I never felt like I fit in, you know? And so, um, how did you in particular find your voice to be able to speak up for people, the underdog, if you will? Cause I feel like God put me in this earth too, to speak up for the underdog. Cause I too was an underdog, you yeah. know, growing up. And so where, how did you find that voice? What was your moment in time for you? Again, I have to start by moving back. Great question is having to settle within myself of not enjoying who I was not really, you know, I had to be transparent and, you know, recognizing, let's be honest, Tina, that we, that I was, that you were an underdog, that mm, there's some things about me that I don't like because of negative voices that have been coming and converging at me. So I will even say this too, and then answer that question. This is another interesting di- di- dichotomy and, and dilemma that I experienced. So I'm fair skin. So in the black community, you have fair skin, you have more brown skin. So at school, I'm fair, I'm fair skin wherever I go. My point of saying that is for white individuals, I was still black. For black individuals, like, oh, you're fair skin, you're light skin, had long hair, so you're stuck up, or you're, you know, I was able to conjugate sentences and put sentences together. So that was talking white, right? Mm-hmm. Just having good grammar. Mm-hmm. So having to, had that further complicated my identity. Like I don't fit in too well with the, you know, black individual, don't fit in too well with the white individuals. So I became independent. And I'm very into sports. So I was in track, basketball, cheerleading, all those things. So those were my people, which happened to be, which is sports usually is a compilation of, of, of diversity, of representative diversity of, of, of people, of ethnic groups, of, of, of ethnicity, of gender, et cetera. That's where I began to find my voice. I was good at sports, good-ish, but I was good. <laughs> so that's where I began like, oh, that built confidence, right? Yeah. Where I didn't focus so much on, you know, is my fair skin good enough? Is my skin good enough? Is it, is it, is it, te- you know, all these things you start telling yourself as a child, right? Even though your parents are speaking wonderful things into your life, do we have to now eat the words of the Bible, right? For ourselves. That didn't happen until later. That didn't happen until later. However, I can say early on sports and finding that community helped bring that voice about for me. So that's the same for me that's crazy because now talk to the person right now that's like oh man but 
Tina and Tanae, <laughs> like I don't have the confidence that you two have. And, and interesting enough, and I'm sure that you do this as well, Tanae, is I'm always talking to my staff about you need to speak up. Yes. You need to find your voice. Why are you talking in the back room about this situation at work when you could be talking to the people that could actually make the change? Like, let's make changes. I love changes as a leader, right? And so, but it's like, I can't make changes if I don't know what needs to be changed because I'm not in the trenches like you are. So I need you to speak up. But there's still like not that safety. But I think what we just kind of hit the nail on the head is they haven't found their confident voice how do, so what do you suggest to people to build confidence so that they can speak up, speak their truth, if you yeah. will? No, great question. And for me, that answer stemmed from trauma. It stemmed from childhood trauma all the way through adulthood trauma. So really understanding and unpacking that trauma. So what yeah. the Holy Spirit has done for me is really helped me on a path to unleashing my voice through trauma, through resilience. So I'll take you back to, and I'll just give you, I'll try to make this brief, but for me to answer that question, I have to go back to childhood. So I'll speak about my parents, you know, marriage there. I don't say the word, but the D-I-V-O-R-C-E and my, at my, at my husband and I's a wedding, a part of our vows were never to say that word. Yeah. So we never say that word. So my parents did get a D-I-V-O-R-C-E and navigating the chaos that I experienced through marriage and through that, that separation, right? Yeah. So for me, my parents were amazing cheerleaders. They were at every game, the signs. Um, that's the type of parents I had. <laughs> you know, it was absolutely amazing for that experience. So just let's go a little bit further. So I didn't see the best marriage example. So my father, my mom were phenomenal parents. My father wasn't the best husband. So I saw this firsthand. And for me, I was the type of child that was like a turtle. I internalized everything. I really didn't have a voice or I would say I didn't know. Let me say it better. I didn't know I had a voice as a child. I internalized everything and I really um, went with the flow and allowed life to happen to me. So really navigating the terrain of seeing not the best marriage example allowed me to build walls. I chose to build mm -hmm. walls. Let's say this, you know, from my perspective, we have to be kind of missing. Now looking back on my decision, I chose to build walls like mm, that's not going to happen to me. That's not going to happen to me. So I build this exterior and interior walls and become a turtle in the shell. So wow. voice dimmed, light dim. Let's go a little bit further. What I experienced also is being molested by an adult close family member. Mm. Very traumatic experience. But guess what I did, Tina? I didn't tell anybody. Right. No one, because I felt shame. Like, how did I allow this to happen to me? This is, you know, early high school. How did this happen to me? And how did I allow, I allow this to happen? An adult that, that power dynamic, didn't know about that at the time and going, you know, it, taking advantage of a very vulnerable mind that I had, uh, anger, you know, seeing the things I saw in marriage and um, it allowed me to be taken advantage of, if you will. So again, internalizing that traumatic experience. Let's go a step further. And now I'm, you know, uh, uh, parents are not together anymore. I'm in college. So what I did in college, is I was heads down, I was definitely a nerd. I was all about my studies. I was all, I went to, I was tracking to be a lawyer. I went to James Madison at Michigan State University. I was, my goal only was to be a lawyer and go to Howard University, get my law degree. So I further was being, I 
further was taking my relationship away from Christ. Mm-hmm. I got involved in a toxic relationship in the Holy Spirit sophomore year. Said, if you don't get out of this relationship, you're going to die in it. Wow. It was taking me further and further. And those that have been born and raised in the church and relate to this, your seat changes. <laughs> when you allow sin into your life, you're literally positioned in the church where you sit, how you serve, it changes. Because we're living under condemnation, even though now the Bible says there isn't condemnation, but we take that condemnation and shame on. So I got out of the toxic relationship. It didn't happen that quick, but I'm just speeding up the conversation. Um, Got out of that through the strength of the Holy Spirit. When I got out of that relationship, I'm still in college. Oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit, I then began to reclaw my way back to Christ through his word, him literally, like I have moments in my life where God, literally, I'm telling you, he just grabbed me. It wasn't like someone came and, you know, spoke a word on me very honest. He literally in my dorm room came and grabbed me out of the hole that I was in and, and said, listen to me, I need you to get back to me, hear the scriptures, read this, and began to just, ex- it just expand my love. I began to fall in love with God all over again, but on a more adult level not my grandfather's god not my mother's god not my dad mine yes through that moment and then to your point oh my goodness here comes my life here comes my voice a little bit i study abroad i go to europe study for three months over in london during this time frame i actually met my husband Mm. i met him he didn't go to the same college but i met him we dated while i was overseas so came home all these things begin to align and the holy spirit told me today i don't want you to be a lawyer I want you to do something different. I'm like, wow, you couldn't tell me that my freshman year? <laughs> you know, like, I'm a senior. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit was like, you weren't listening. Oh, wow. There's so much toxicity yeah. allowed to come into your mind, your heart, your ears, all of your gates. Mm-hmm. When toxicity is implemented, is implanted, you don't hear the voice of God clear because he's always speaking. He's always impressing upon us, but I didn't position myself to hear him completely. That's when my relationship with Christ skyrocketed and my husband and I became best friends. Mm. And we helped each other just regain our voice and our love for Christ together. And then, you know, a year and a half later, we got married. So for me, you know, speeding up, you know, going again, remember as a childhood, I internalized everything. I was a turtle. I really didn't. I, I was lacking the correlation of emotions, uh, 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 words and action. So yeah. speed up, I get married. And then three years, amazing in our marriage. I have our first uh, child uh, three years in. My son has some health challenges, so I left corporate America. And then less than a year later, about a year later, I have another child. (laughs) So I have two, they're 15 months apart. So now I'm going through revisiting. So I'm revisiting old habits because of I expected my husband to be this emotional savior, right? Because I hadn't been healed from childhood trauma yet. Right. So I'm now still internalizing. I'm going through a lot of stressors. I'm um, going through anxiety. I'm going through the motions. I was nurturing on the surface, my husband, nurturing on the surface, my children. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was uh, nur- you know, teaching my children. I, I was doing all these things, but I was dealing with anxiety and depression because I wasn't handling the pressure of my son being sick, staying at home with, and, and Tina, I have to give perspective very little family support because we lived away from family. We were about, you know, over 300 miles away from family. So I didn't have that support system. I was just so many things converging in on me at once and not really handling it the best way possible. So literally, again, 
the Holy Spirit came and took me out of that state and pushed me, brought me out of the emotional and the depression and the stress of just, oh, let's just go because I knew how to do, know how to put it on and just show up, but with being not whole on the inside. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit brought me to a place of like, you have to deal with this not talking, mm-hmm. this not expressing, this not sharing your emotions. Like, what is that about? Yeah. I have to reconcile with that tonight. And the host, I had to wrestle with that. I literally had to wrestle with myself. And God gave me the words. He gave me the strength to talk to my husband. Like, honey, I don't know what I need to say, but I don't feel well. I feel the pressure and I'm not handling it well because I checked out. Mm-hmm. So I had to really reconcile and find the power of my voice through that traumatic experience and help my and help my husband help me. He's like, oh, I had no idea. Does you just get up, go, and you know where I'm? Because in my mind, I'm like, how does he not know? But I, I guess I knew how to perform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and not really, yeah, and not really share the end. But I didn't know how. I honestly, I wasn't taught. Yeah, how to share, put words to emotions mentally, um, and, and emotionally, put words to it, and say, mm, let's unpack this feeling of anxiety. Let's unpack why you're not sharing, and you just put on more. Like, oh, let's just do more. <laughs> That's the smart thing to do. How did you learn to put a voice to it and to finally start talking about it? I remember the first time that I um, said in front of an audience, you know, that when I was 16, I had wrote a suicide note. And so, but, and I started crying and I felt like the shame came on me again, you know, and so the guilt and the shame. And so can you talk about to someone right now that's like maybe still that turtle, you know, maybe they're in their fifties, you know, their sixties and they're like, oh my gosh, I think I'm that turtle. Like I've been, you know, hiding in my shell too, and not sharing some kind of childhood trauma, which could lead you to part of your destiny, you know, what God has already prepared in advance for you to do that we've been talking about, which I know that's why you're in the DEI work, which I can't wait to unpack some of that. This is incredible. I wish we could go for hours, (laughs) but, but talk to that person right now. How can they take a first step? What's a, what's a good first step for them that you recommend? I would say a good first step is what I had to do is refocus without retreating. So something I had to do, even in my mid forties through work trauma, I had to refocus without retreating. So I've mentioned it earlier is having the strength and the power hearing this today, this B series is what do I need to slow down and speed up? How do I need to refocus without retreating? Because God may not necessarily want us to retreat me. I was willing because of a work situation to give up the eye, to give up and go a totally different way. But the Holy Spirit had to say, let's slow down, let's reevaluate without retreating because mm-hmm. I had to build up resistance. So this is something that if you don't have individuals in your life saying, keep going, being that cheerleader is, again, I go back to that Christ identity. Even with that, we have to continue to discover that intrinsic motivation. And that is understanding, like, what is my value system? I know I mentioned that earlier, but I believe that the power in knowing, I think of the three Hebrew boys. So we have that, 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 that ability to say, okay, I'm, I'm willingly going into this fire. We're going, it's not if, it's, we're going to experience fires, people that are in it right now. But we have to know, and I'm encouraging people that are listening right now, that God is in the fire with you. So the three Hebrew boys were so staunch on their belief in Christ. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The fire, they still got put in the fire. Right. <laughs> still got put in the fire. 
but, the, but God is so powerful. He's saying, I'm in the fire with you. I'm refining you in it. That's why I say, slow down and speed up. I say, God, what are you, I'm asking people to tell the, ask God right now, what are you teaching me in this fire? You're refining me in this moment. What I love about that story is not only did God get in the fire with them, not only did they not even smell like smoke, they refined, he kept them, he refined them, and they had praise and worship with God in the fire. He said, let's just stop a moment and dance around this fire. I see four people walking around, moving, they're in the fire with you. So no, this is what I love about God. He took me back to a child when I had that childhood trauma situation. I didn't tell anyone until seven years later, my husband. My husband was the first person. I, and he was my husband, I think he was my husband or maybe fiance at the time. But God had to show me, and I'm encouraging people, God is in the fire with you. It is not to kill you. It is to refine you. Mm -hmm. So what I love about what God does, he gets in the fire with us, he keeps us, and he will absolutely keep our enemies at bay when we stay in tune to him. So it's literally clawing our way to Christ. The woman, like if I can just touch the hem of his garments, is having that, I'm hoping this series will wake someone's spirit to say, ah, let me ask God, what does this fire mean for me? It hurts, it's painful, it's traumatic. The memories are absolutely agonizing. Mm. How do I, how, do, how does this even make sense that God's refining me? How is this even God? But God said, I'm in it with you because I'm bringing purpose. And that's what God did for me. He brought purpose through it so that I can be that light for others and refine me for purpose and power so that we can have this conversation today. I didn't die in it. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you get past the agonizing of the, the memory? Like, how were you able to get past that? Because I know I speak to a lot of people uh, today and they just can't eat. And even if they are a Christian, right. Yeah. So, and they do have the Holy spirit, they're not really like using the Holy spirit yes. <laughs> to do this, but, but so kind of talk through that process. Like, what do you recommend for that, that they still have that agony? I, I had someone just actually message me today and she said, I'm just, I'm trying every day to forgive. And I'm really struggling with that. Ooh, forgive. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. And I really think you have to look at, this is something I did through teaching, through, through counseling, through life coaches and leaning into, I'm a huge proponent of mental health, yeah. huge proponent of combining mental health with the Holy Spirit, with the Bible, using those as a phenomenal dream team to mm. deal with the memories and, and taking God into those memories. Because that's one thing that the Holy Spirit has shown me. You're, you, those memories are there because I did so well of like, oh, no, it's a fine. Let's be a turtle. The Holy Spirit had to say, no, no, we have to bring these memories up, but I'm with you as you mm -hmm. remember. I want you to see me in it. See me sitting right there. See me uh, using this for your power. It is your superpower. And I say couple mental health, couple life counselor, a life coach, and those things that help people. Yeah. For me, I, for me, honestly, it helped me to put words. Remember I was telling you, it, I had a hard time putting words to emotions mentally and, and, and um, mentally and emotionally so that helped me put words to it but one thing the holy spirit gave me as well is he said i want you to become a divine disruptor so i encourage people to be a divine disruptor there's three the three things to being a divine disruptor i talked about it earlier recognizing your christ identity so one thing i encourage people is remember who you are in Christ. So sometimes you may not remember, but I'm telling you right now through this podcast that you are more than a conqueror, that you are fearfully and you're wonderfully made and God doesn't make mistakes. 
and you are amazing. So I'm telling people to lean into their Christ identity because he called us by name. So the second thing is resilience is spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. So once we remember who we are, there's absolutely action that God says, I need you to lean in and I need you to take up this torch. I need you to fight for yourself. I had to learn how to fight for myself because Holy Spirit said, if you don't fight, you're going to die. Yeah. So I'm encouraging people. I'm that voice, that person you may need right now to say, I want you to fight for yourself. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the shield, the breastplate, the feet, that the sword of the spirit, the word of God. That's one thing I encourage. That is actually an actionable item of, and I'll give some scriptures. I love 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting. This is something that I memorized. I encourage you to find a scripture to memorize when those memories come up. This is how you put God in it. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, recognizing I'm not what the enemy said I am, but I'm chosen by Christ. So that is that spiritual warfare. And the last thing is the weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> Recognize that I am a weapon of mass destruction. So this is that evolution of finding my voice through horrific experiences and converging my personal and professional and family. And you talked about the balance. It's like, okay, putting on the whole armor. I am a mass destruction. That means I have authority in Christ to tread upon the enemy. So I think when we recognize our Christ identity, oh, I actually have power over the enemy, over my thoughts. You mentioned it earlier, and I talked to so many women and people. You have control and authority over the negativity that's been said to you from childhood and now to cast it down, to not accept it. So let's talk real quick about an offense. One thing I always say about an offense, if someone has said, well, you and I said, we've had horrible things said to us as childhood, maybe right. through adulthood, and maybe some of it was, was, was not even horrible, but just like, oh, that didn't feel good. I didn't like that. I have the choice, Tina, to not accept your offense. An offense is only an offense if I pick it up, put it on, wear it like a backpack, walk around with it like, oh, this offense, it hurt me. And I'm showing everybody my offense. It became an offense because I decided to pick it up and own it. Mm. So recognizing, oh, that did happen to me. They did say that. It was traumatic. It was hurtful. It actually dimmed my light and my voice, but I'm no longer going. I had to add in my forties to say, I'm no longer going to accept being silent, no longer accept what happens to me, no longer accept the horrible things that life brings. I'm going to put on the whole armor and cast it down and walk in my Christ identity. Oh God. Wow. Okay. And I love this because to be present uh, you will become a disruptor wherever God is taking you to disrupt. And so speaking of disruption, this DEI, like all of a sudden, it was really after the social unrest, to be honest with you, that my eyes were open, like, oh, there's people who are div diversity, equity, and inclusion specialists. Like, what is that? Yeah. So talk about, first of all, what is that? And interesting enough, in our Paul Mitchell schools, we have what we call the golden rules today, and they added a golden rule, and it just says one word, inclusion. Mm, <laughs> and awesome. so I've been unpacking that for an entire year with bringing on guest speakers on inclusion. So tell me, first of all, what is it that you exactly do and what is diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yes, thank you for asking. It is 
So what I do for organizations, one organization in particular, but is to really bring to life diversity, equity, inclusion, the difference between all and belonging, the difference between all those. So what we're doing is we're bringing to life in a multiplicity of areas. My goal always for organizations is, and I'll go back to what that is, what defining diversity, equity, inclusion, but really making sure, and it'll make sense once I define it, ensuring that it's infused in the DNA of the business objectives. Mm -hmm. It's not a sexy lever that we pull, an optional lever that we pull, and oh, we may lean in this month and we may lean in that month, but it's absolutely infused in our business practices. It's literally putting on, like you and I both have last, I think I dropped mine, but putting on DI lens. So when I have my DI lens, everything I see, everything I come in contact with, policies, procedures, persons, human, I'm leaning in with a diverse equitable, inclusive, belonging, and psychological safety mindset. So now we backtrack what that means. And I'll use this example as a very common example that's used in DI world. Think of a party. So there's a party that you've invited. I'm inviting you to, Tina. I want you know, people to come. Diversity are the, the representative diverse persons that we've invited. Or I wouldn't even say representative because that diverse, what I like to share with individuals is a gamut of things, is diversity of thought. We wanna make sure we have multiple people at the table that are thinking different because that, that breeds innovation. We wanna have neurodiversity. That's persons that may have ADHD, that may think different or have a mental cognitive difference in the, how they approach life. You have ethnic and gender and, and, um, and, and, and veteran status, uh, you know, where you work, your region, your, your, your culture. You have an accent. If you're from a different part of the world, all those are diverse. So we're inviting all these people to a party. Equity is now who's in the room. Is everybody, did, did everyone we invite get to the room? Do we provide a ramp for those that are wheelchair, uh, need wheelchair accessibility? Do we have invite them, but did we make it accessible for them to even come to the party? Do we ensure that, you know, there's um, closed captioning for those that are part of the deaf and hard hearing community? meeting the needs of the blind. So that's the, that is the equitable part. Did we make it accessible? Mm -hmm. The inclusion is, okay, we've got the dance floor. We want everybody on the floor showing their personality, showing what makes their light shine, what makes them unique, what makes them them. Not saying we want this group over here if you dance, break dancing. We want this group over here if you do modern dancing. No, everybody's on the floor together shining in the way that makes them shine the best. Not changing who you are, that's psychological safety. Then you're bringing psychological safety and belonging could be one and the same. I'm building an environment, a culture, where everyone feels confident to be themselves and bring their whole, we talk about a lot, bring their whole selves to work. And for me, that can mean wearing my braids in an organization where I may be the only black woman. Mm -hmm. It may be someone wearing tattoos in an organization where they may not see it. So again, it's so many, it's, it's pushing people to think of all the different ways that make us who we are. So good. I love this. What a great way to explain this, which, it, and so talk to, to that organization. So what have you, give, give us the good, the bad, and the ugly with oh. this. We start to end this out because 
talk to me because I've always said to myself, I thought I was always this way in our company. And it was so funny because our partners, uh, John Paul DeJoria and Wynne Claybaugh through the Paul Mitchell schools, they were like, oh no, we got some, a long way to go here. We need to, to do better with this. And so they actually changed up our entire texture curriculum and it was incredible and they brought in new people and new leaders and so our eyes were open and I met with several of my African-American friends and they were like oh Tina you need to do this this and this and I'm like wow thank you for the new pair of glasses that you gave me because I didn't see that either and so constantly always and so I think this is critical and super important so talk to that small business to the big business like, what do you see, like the good, the bad, and the ugly that we need to do differently as business owners and, and entrepreneurs? Because I do speak to a lot of entrepreneurs as well. So glad you asked. I think keeping it simple. So I'm going to keep it okay. simple. Meaning it is being authentic. It's being sustainable. And what I mean by that is being an inclusive champion. What you yeah. said best, what policies, procedures, auditing those how are we meeting the needs of our audience? Everyone's audience is different. So you, you mentioned it perfectly with Paul Mitchell. There's a textured audience that we want to captivate and capture. So do we have products that match that? And then authentically, are we leaning into the group, the community that represents that community? That's authenticity. That's sustainability. So when we're not just checking a box, when we're checking a box, we're not even leaning into the community in which it's impacting because we wanted to make it look good, like, oh, look at this shiny new thing Mm -hmm. that we're doing without steeping it in authenticity, Mm -hmm. fact-finding it. So I talk about intent versus impact. So your example is perfect, it's apropos. We want to meet the need of the Black community, those that have textured hair. Mm -hmm. How will it impact, if we launch XYZ product, how will it impact this community? So in between the two is research is leaning into the actual community which is affecting to make sure the impact lands well. I can step on your toes so many times to like, oh, I didn't mean to, oh, I didn't mean to, but the impact is still, it hurts. Right. So the other thing that organizations have to do small or big, they have to own the impact. What I mean by that, that's the ugly. Yeah. Racism, isms, sexism, yeah. all the isms exist. Mm-hmm. We have to own the fact that they are here. What we're doing is navigating the terrain of how do we build psychological safety? And as a, from my microcosm of the world, how do I build these walls? How do I tear these walls down? So that's where I encourage organizations to really look at how are you building psychological safety through your policies, your procedures, your hiring practices? Are you what's called post and pray? Do you post a position and pray people of color? Pray that um, um, P-R-A-Y, that persons of different representative um, groups come to your posting or do you P-R-E-Y pray post? I'm going into communities and I'm actually seeking authentic, building a bridge of relationship with individuals, whether it's you know uh, Hispanic, Latino, people um, of different abilities, specifically going into those groups and asking for help. How do I bridge the gap? So it's intentionality. I think the biggest thing is intentionality and authenticity. And you have to own and be comfortable being uncomfortable. And another thing I just want to share as an inclusion champion is you have to be okay with leaving a conversation, leaving a moment, not settled. Because for an underrepresented person, you may not solve it in that one city. Right. 
This is years of systemic um, barriers that have been built that don't happen in one celebration of celebrating AAPI month or Asian American Pacific Islander month or Black History Month or Juneteenth. It's not solved in one celebration and honor. It's the constant relationship building, sitting down, having conversations of courage. Mm. How do I find out Tina as a woman, as a mother, as all the things that you are? It's through conversations. So that's where I, you know, I start courageous conversations. Let's sit down and have a conversation about who we are and find out where are the converging of, of similarities and differences. I want you to see that I'm a black woman. I want you to see that. Mm-hmm. I want you to see all the things that I am and how we can build on it and find our similarities. So not saying, oh, I don't see color. Please do. It's who I am. I can't wake up and take it off or someone can't wake up and, um, you know, uh, take off who they are, if you will. Yeah. That's what we talk about building, bring, bring their whole selves to work. So that's what I would say for small and big, build a DEI strategy that yeah. builds around your demographic of who you want to attract and who you already have to retain. So a lot of people don't want to put forth out the world. We don't have a lot of people of color. I don't want to put, but you want to attract persons of color and you have persons of color possibly in your organization, use them in seats that you can, um, use as a sounding board, not tokenizing them, but adding value, their voice and their actions to help you build a, a better um, brand and reaching out to other organizations to help yeah. um, uh, of color, to, to really help build a diversity, equity, inclusion strategy. That's the, I should have said that first, that's the foundation in which everything is built from. It's so huge. And, and you've got, and I know when Clayball and John Paul, they've been working on this DEI strategy, you know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's, it's going to take some time. What are some of the um, mistakes you think some organizations are making and what do you think they should do? Like first steps to build this DEI strategy. And I, I love that you brought this up. Hiring practices is huge. Um, what's like some small things that uh, to get started in that process, that hiring practice? And I know, for instance, in, in my world, in the beauty world, um, it's really, really a, been a difficult process. I have a friend who's African-American and she's working really hard. I've tried, I've worked hard on trying to build a multicultural business with to no avail. She's failing, I'm failing. And I'm like, girl, what do we do? And so we still continue to kind of like banter back and forth with ideas, but maybe, maybe you have some ideas for us today. (laughs) We can work this process. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) Yeah. No pressure. Yeah. Handle it in two minutes. (laughs) Well, this is the thing too. Honestly, you said it, Tina, it is being patient with yourself in the process. Mm -hmm. You have to build a foundation. So you have to build a foundation of what is your North star? What do you want to build? What is your North Star? What do you want to grow into? And then work your way backwards. That's where you're building the prongs and the meat because you said it, it is a journey. It does not happen overnight, but it happens with the same thing with West Michigan, right? I hear it all the time. I want to have persons of color. They're just, they're not out there. I don't, I don't, I, 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 I we post, but they don't, they don't post, you know, they, they're not coming to the roles that I hear, et cetera. So that is, geographic can be difficult. It is not impossible. You said it best. It is a heavy lift. So it's the intentionality and building relationships. All We're in a world where hybrid is popular. So can your roles be remote? I know for, for um, your world is different. So the, the thing about it is, is how can you look at roles where individuals can have impact, whether it be remote 
or going into certain salons where saying, you know what, we have a place for you here. Would you mind bringing your talents, your gifts so that we can attract your clientele, whether it's Latinx, whether it's African-Americans. Not that you haven't done that, but that's one low hanging fruit to say, you know what, I, we have this textured brand, we wanna attract others. Um, so we wanna bring those individuals in. So it's building and when people see your strategy, yeah. when they see your, your connectivity, your authentic, your authentic connections, who are you connecting with in the community? They'll say, okay, I wanna be a part of this because I'm be honest with you, people of color and underrepresented groups are sitting on the sidelines sometimes saying, mm, let me see how real they are. Do they want me to come in and be the token? Right. To represent like they have this one person and now we've got diversity. Yeah. They want to see how are you building, being honest. That's another thing too. You said it, Tina. Be transparent where you are in your process. Every company, every person is, is, on a, is in a different space and different, I would say, trajectory in their DI journey. So being very honest. And one thing you want to build, I didn't share this earlier, is you have to build education. You have to build an education arm just around what is diversity, what is equity, inclusion, and belonging. Just what is it? Level set with individuals. We believe it's important. Let me provide a glossary. Let me provide definitions. This is what it is. And this is what we aspire to be and how we're leaning into the community, whether it be volunteerism, connecting with different organizations through authenticity, not just to check a box. That's huge. A lot of people want to check a box to get that, you know, kissing babies photo out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they'll smell it a mile away. Yeah. You have to be authentic. And I know that you are, but I believe I'm speaking to organizations that, you know, want to get up the ground. You have to be okay with starting slow and having them you know, having small wins. Yeah. It's so no, true. There's no quick fixes. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. There's no quick, there's, yeah. if it's a quick fix, it's not sustainable. No. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And I, you can tell that you're so passionate about this. I mean, seriously, I have to have you back because it's huge. And I think you could help uh, entrepreneurs and organizations. Let me ask you, uh, what is, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and tell, uh, like, explain to my audience exactly what you do and how you could help some people in my audience too. Wonderful. Yes. I would love for individuals to get in touch with me. Um, you know, again, I, I wear a few hats where it comes from ministry as well as professionally. So I would definitely say get in contact with me, contact with me through my Facebook page, Tanae Richardson, Tanae Noel Richardson. That'd be a great way for individuals to get in contact with me. Probably the best way as helping organizations, even individuals navigate the terrain of mm-hmm. their own journey with diversity, equity, inclusion, and organizations uh, with that, um, as well as mentorship, et cetera. For ministry, though, for right now, that is the best way to get in touch with me. I do plan to start a podcast with my husband. We really want to help individuals lean in to understand the balance between ministry and uh, marketplace. What does that look like? Uh, we wear multiple hats where, you know, some people in my job may not even know that I'm a minister and it's not hiding. It's they see it through how I live every day. It looks different in the marketplace, right? Through, through perspective, we talk about being present. So for me, it's being that light and that light looks different in different ways in different capacities. So for me is to please reach out to me. I'm sorry, I don't want to go on a tangent, but reach out to me through Tanae Richardson. That way you can connect to both ends, both both um, realms. But I'm excited to start a podcast with my husband where we can really share our experiences. We both, again, work in those spaces. And I believe a lot of people are lost on how do I, do I have to lose one to gain the other? And that is not so. You can be powerful, impactful, inspirational um, in both places. Yeah. 
Yeah, I listened to this incredible uh, pastor who used to be a pastor, but now he's in business and he said he's reaching more people for Christ than he ever did as a pastor. (laughs) I'm just like, wow, this is huge. You know, he was just interviewed by one of my favorite people, Sean Bowles. And oh "Oh my gosh, this is so good. I love this, you know, story so much. And so what is, um, so best ways Instagram then uh, through Tanae Richardson, T-Y-N-A-E, by the way, uh, Richardson. And uh, so what is uh, like one last idea that you have? And I love all these ideas you gave to be present, which I think it's so huge. I think it's going to calm me down. I love the slow down to speed up. That was my best takeaway. I'm going to, my husband's going to love to hear that because he's going to go, yeah, let's try. Let's see if she can slow down. <laughs> He called me the energizer bunny. And oh, I love it. <laughs> so can you uh, give one last piece of advice that you want to make sure everyone knows today on this B-Series podcast to be present? Yes. Thank you again so much, Tina, for the opportunity. Thank it's you. been amazing I speaking know. with you, speaking with your love audience. you. I just love you. So <laughs> I love you. I love your energy. Uh, it's so funny because I've had people tell me like, dim the energy, you know? So oh, <laughs> me too. I don't have to do that here. I don't have to do that here. So I appreciate being able to be me. And I think that's one thing that I want to impress upon people is Mm -hmm. when you are yourself, again, I talked about finding my voice through trauma, through resilience in my forties is finding and being okay with who you are. And when you're yourself, everybody wins. I don't have to tear someone else down to be great, vice versa. So I really encourage your audience and people to be divine disruptors by being present, being themselves, and really solidifying, wow, this is my personal value statement. I'm counting up the cost. I'm looking at my perceived benefits, and I am okay, and I love being who I am. I think that's the, the, one of the things the enemy tries to, to attack us is not being who God has called us to be. So we take on so many other facets that the world gave us, not that Christ gave us. So I encourage you to find your identity in Christ through his word. You, the world will change for the better when everybody is loving who they are and expressing it, right? And sharing it with others. That's the thing. I had, I did did better as I got older is sharing my light with others, my love with others, my experience with others. I don't want to hold it to myself. It's just, God's been too good to me. And I'm so grateful to have this time with you, with your audience, to just let our light shine and be present in these powerful moments that God has given us. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hoard your light. Stop. Don't hoard hoard your light. light. (laughs) (laughs) Let your light shine. That's right. Oh my gosh. We're definitely (laughs) twins for sure. I just take on everything that you're saying. And I just, I love you. Thank you so much for your time today, today. And I know everyone's going to feel so blessed by your message. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.